Good morning and welcome to Saving Grace Church. Could we come in from the lobby and from the aisles and take our seats for the morning message, please? Okay, good morning. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Uh, I was wondering if we should tell Brian that uh, I love how he thinks in acronyms, but Mommy M-U-M-M-Y is actually like some kind of, it's not the same as a Mommy M-O-M-M-Y, Brian. It was a little ghoulish, that acronym, <laughs> but I liked it. It was effective. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's begin with prayer and ask the Lord to help us this morning as we look into His Word. Father, we thank You so much for this morning, the time that we can gather together and look into Your Word and learn about You and focus on truth. We pray that this morning you would reveal truth to us in a powerful way. I pray that this message would be a great encouragement to all of us uh, who live in a time when you've already come, but you are still coming another time to make all things complete and new. And we pray that as we look into these truths this morning, you would just encourage our faith. Pray that you help me as I teach, Lord. I'm dependent upon you. I can do nothing without you, so give me the the ability and gifting to teach effectively and give us ears to hear. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, well, we uh, sung a song um, called Completely Done. It was the last song in that first set. And I asked Brielle if we could sing that because, well, two reasons. One, it's one of my favorite songs. But two, um, I wanted to make reference to it in this introduction to this message because it's completely true that it's completely done. But... I want to ask if, if it is completely done, if, if Jesus did come and live and die and rise from the dead and completely finish the work that he came to do, then why do we still struggle with sin? Why do we suffer and why do we still die? Really think about that. Why, if Jesus has won our victory over sin, suffering, and death, do we still sin, suffer, and die? If it is, in fact, completely done, then why the continued struggle? If Jesus has defeated the enemy, as we talk about so often, then why are there Christians still being beheaded in certain parts of the world? If, if the struggle has been paid for and dealt with, then why do believers still struggle with addiction and temptation? If the victory's already been won, why does it feel like it's not yet been one? Why does it feel like we're not yet experiencing it in so many areas of our lives? About a month ago in our resurrection message, our Easter message, I made reference to an idea that many pastors and Bible teachers like to call the already but not yet. And today I want to elaborate on that idea a little bit more because I believe it's really going to help us when we understand that concept, the, the biblical concept of the already not yet it's going to help us to answer so many questions that we get confused about. And I know we're in a series on Job right now, and I, I just want to hit pause, hit the pause button this week in that series on Job to talk about this idea because the book of Job raises so many questions about suffering and, and why, why it happens in our lives. If, if the Lord's already come to deal with that, why does it still happen? And I think this concept is going to connect the dots of a lot of our questions, a lot of confusing questions that Christians struggle with about these things. So the title of our message this morning is Already But Not Yet. And I've got a simple five-point outline for us that uh, we're going to cover this morning, Lord willing. Um, I know we have uh, Mother's Day dinner, lunches planned. 
but uh, Lord willing, we'll get through this. And that outline is this. Number one, the explanation. So what is this strange phrase, already, not yet, and what does it mean? Uh, then we're going to look at an illustration that I think is going to help us to really understand what's going on in the time that we now live in, this tension between the already and the not yet. Thirdly, I want to shed light on a common error that comes when we, when we oversimplify this, when we fail to distinguish between the already and the not yet and conflate or blend or mix the two of them together, especially in the effects and benefits of each. Um, fourth, we are going to look at the biblical answer to the error so that we don't fall into the error. And finally, fifth, we will look at an application to our lives that I think it will really help us to, to know how to better live practically within this tension of the already and the not yet. So let's uh, start it out this morning with the explanation. What is it? So what is this idea of already, not yet? Well, here's how I define it. The already but not yet is a phrase used to, to describe the tension between the benefits of the redemption that, we've, that we already experience, those set forth at Christ's first coming, and the benefits which we may not yet experience, but are promised at the consummation, His second coming. Consummation is a point at which something is finalized or made complete. So basically, Jesus Christ in His first advent has already come. And in that first coming, He has set into motion many benefits and effects for us as believers today that we already have and we can already experience. But at the same time, Jesus Christ has not yet come the second time at His second advent. And so we, we don't yet have some of the fullness of those benefits that He's already set into motion for us. You guys understand this, even though this phrase might be a, a new way to explain it, the already, not yet. This is a biblical concept, and I, I think as we, as we get further into this, you'll be, you'll be like, yeah, I get that. So, for example, we already have eternal life. Uh, many verses, John 5, 24, for one, tells us that the moment that we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have passed already from death to life, and that we have already have eternal life. But at the same time, we, don't, we do not yet experience the fullness of what we will have at the consummation when the Lord comes back and we get a glorified body that no longer has the capacity for suffering and for sin. When we're in that eternal state, which we are not yet in, we will really have eternal life. So we already have it, but we don't yet have it in that ultimate sense. We are already declared to be new creations in Christ, just like we sang this morning and completely done. The old is gone, the new has come. And, and that's, that's now. We, any, anyone who is in Christ is already a new creation. So we're already new creations in Christ, but we all know that we are not yet perfect. We're still imperfect sinners. We st still struggle with temptation, we still struggle with sin. We still have sinful desires that linger. We still have bad backs. We still have all kinds of issues. You know, Lyme's disease, achy joints, struggles, temptations. It's, we still have this. We are not yet completely redeemed in the way that we will be 
when we go to be with the Lord or when he comes back. Romans 7 calls that this body of death. Who will free me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ, the Lord. He will free us from this body of death. So in one sense, we've already been redeemed. We talk about that a lot here. But in another sense, the, the work of our redemption is, is not yet complete. Do you know the scripture talks about a coming day that it calls the day of redemption? That we're to look forward to with great anticipation and hope. Let me show you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, And we do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were already, were sealed for the day of redemption. The day that's coming. We're sealed for that day. The Holy Spirit who sealed us the moment we believed is like a down payment for that day. And he brings us many benefits now. We already have many benefits through the Spirit, which we'll talk about. But he's like the guarantee. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 tell us this, where it says, In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. We haven't yet acquired possession of it. He's the guarantee. And I like, in the, in the old King James Version, the word is earnest, which is a, an accounting term that means it's, you, you, you get this down payment that guarantees the rest is coming. That's what we have in the Holy Spirit who's sealed us the moment we believed a guarantee that a down payment that guarantees that more is coming when we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We don't we don't acquire possession of it yet because the day of redemption in the future sense is not yet here. The day of redemption in the past sense, the Lord Jesus coming, living, dying and raising from the dead to acquire for us that purchase possession has already been here but we don't yet have that purchase possession is this making sense so we live in this time between the already and the not yet the bible talks about this in so many ways this this concept has helped me so much to be able to sort of just connect the dots and make sense of some of the more confusing parts of the bible if we can get this and understand it and have a category for it in our mind as we read the new testament we will get so much more out of it. So when we read in the Bible that we have been saved, past tense, we get that. We know that we have been saved. We know that we have been saved through the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ the moment we believed in him. But we also read in the Bible that we will be saved. And when we read that we will be saved, future tense, it's talking about that coming salvation that we were sealed into and locked into the moment we believed but we don't yet fully experience, but we will when the Lord delivers us, Galatians 1, 4, from this present evil age. So we live in a present evil age. We live in an age where there's suffering. We live in an age where there's lingering sinful temptations. We live in an age where we still have this flesh, this body of death that can get sick and achy and, 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 and we, we have these desires to sin. We live in an age where, where as we're going to see, our enemy the devil is still active, still causing persecution, still causing Christians to be martyred, still causing people to suffer, still doing what he did with Job in this world now. 
He's prowling around like a roaring lion. We live in this, in this valley between the two advents of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in the tension of the already and the not yet. Understanding this is, is so good because it helps us make sense of all that, and it also gives us something to really, really look forward to. So we, we have been saved, and we will be saved. This is why Romans 13.11 says, for salvation is nearer now, nearer to us now than when we first believed. It's talking about the not yet, the ultimate salvation that we will experience. So you, get, you feel like you're getting the gist of this idea, the explanation of the already and not yet? Okay, good. Let's look at an illustration that I think is going to help us dig a little deeper into these questions. Questions like, if Jesus already dealt with sin, suffering, and death, why do we still suffer, sin, suffer, and die? Why, if he's already won, does it seem like there are so many battles still raging? I think this illustration is going to help us. I, uh, I, I, here, here's the illustration. I'm going to start it off by telling you this. I teach an evangelism class sometimes through the Learning Tree Homeschool Fellowship. And uh, this past spring semester, I took uh, about 13 teenagers, mostly teens from here at our church, to St. Andrew's Village um, to speak with the residents there about their faith. We go to IUP, we go to St. Andrew's first because it's, uh, it's just an easier transition to opening up about your faith and talking to people. So when we were there one time this past spring, the kids were talking to some of the residents, and I saw this little old man wheel in on his chair, and I thought, I'm going to go over and talk to him because all the kids were already talking to somebody. And uh, it, was a, it was a privilege and an honor to talk to this man. This man's name was Jack Rising. He was a World War II veteran, 93 years old, and uh, boy, he had, some, he had some good stories. He told me about uh, when he was flying as a pilot in World War II, he, he actually flew four missions with Jimmy Stewart, the famous actor, knew him well, was friends with him. Um, but he said that he was flying a mission on D-Day. Do you know what D-Day is? Some of, you, some of you might not know. D-Day was, in World War II, the beginning of the end. The war wasn't officially over until 11 months after D-Day on VE Day. But on D-Day, the Allied forces broke the back of Hitler and the Germans, and the war was all but over. Mr. Rising told me, he said, he got shot down on the beach at Normandy and survived and was crawling to safety and he saw this big thing coming and it was a tank and it ran him over and it broke his back. Um, but he said, he, he said I, I wasn't the only one who had my back broken on that day. He said, we all knew that Hitler and the Germans had their backs broken on that day and he said, I think they knew it too. Mr. Rising said, everybody knew on that day that it was a done deal. Even though there were 11 months and there were still some bloody battles between D-Day and VE Day, he said it was a done deal. That's where we're at. It's a done deal. We're living in the time between the Lord Jesus Christ's D-Day and his VE Day. Satan and the evil forces and the curses of sin that are still in effect in this world know that they're running on borrowed time. The Lord Jesus Christ came the first time and broke the back of the enemy. But he's still, he's still swinging. He didn't raise his white flag and surrender yet. Just like the Germans, even though they knew they were done on D-Day, didn't raise their white flag and surrender. They knew it was over. and They were running on borrowed time. 
but they kept fighting. That's where our enemy is now. I, I like to watch boxing and MMA and combat sports, and it's like sometimes when in a boxing match or an MMA match, you know, a guy will throw a knockout punch, and the guy that gets hit, he'll be knocked out on his feet, and he'll be kind of like wobbling around on loose legs, and he, just before he goes down, in those few seconds before he goes down for the count, he'll just swing a bunch of wild haymakers hoping he hits somebody, and that's pretty much where our enemy is right now in this time period that we live in. It's more than a few seconds, but that's what's going on. He's just swinging wild haymakers, hoping to connect, because he knows that his time's coming. And so, Mr. Rising told me that there were still some bloody battles going on, and he had friends that got hurt, friends that died, friends that went through a lot of difficult trials between D-Day and V-E Day. And that reminded me a lot of, of what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused, He has caused, this is the already, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We don't yet have it. It's, it's an inheritance that's coming. It's kept in heaven for us. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. This is the coming salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he says this in verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now, this, this period of tension that we live in now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We live in a time where there is suffering and various trials, and it's a normal thing for us in our Christian life because we're not yet to that inheritance where Jesus will make everything new. So we live in a, a, a part of the universe that is still occupied by rebel rule. Mr. Rising told me that even though between D-Day and V-E Day, the war was pretty much over, there were still pockets of enemy-occupied territory where they, they, they just didn't get the news or they didn't know and they were still fighting. And that's sort of where we're at right now. Because even though the Lord Jesus Christ broke the back of the enemy and dealt him the death blow when he came and died on the cross and rose from the dead, the New Testament Scriptures post-death and resurrection, tell us that the enemy is still the ruler of this world. Ultimately, God's the ruler of the universe, but there's, there's an enemy-occupied territory, and that's where we live now. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So we shouldn't be surprised when we turn on the TV and look at the news and see all of the devastation that's happening in this world. Jesus Christ has not fully set up His kingdom yet. Oh, when He does, you'll know it. Because that's when that 
wild haymaker swinging, wobbly out on his feet devil is going to hit the floor and the final bell is going to ring and the trumpet's going to blow and nobody is going to be confused as to who the real champion of the world is. It's going to be Jesus Christ. And that promise that we have is as good as done. Because God is faithful to keep His promises. He cannot lie. He said it's going to happen. It will happen. It's on its way, but it's not yet here. And this is where faith comes in. This is why we live by faith. This is why understanding this is going to help you when you're suffering, and you're like, when will this end, Lord? It's like Mark said this morning, it may be sooner and it may be later, but it will end. It's like Gabriella shared that We've got to go through some winter. We've got to go through some suffering because right now, he's building our character. But it will end. 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls Satan the god of this world. Small g, he's a fake god, but he's, he's the ruler of this world. He's not a real god like our god. But he's blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. C.S. Lewis, a a famous Christian author, wrote this in his book, Mere Christianity. I think this sums it up well. He said, One of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament seriously was that it talked about a dark power in the universe, a mighty evil spirit who was behind death and disease and sin. The universe is at war, and we are living in a part of the universe that is occupied by the rebel. Enemy-occupied territory. That's what the world is. But what we need to remember is this. The Lord's coming back, and he says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. This is prophetic. This is telling us something that's going to happen in the future. The devil will be thrown in to the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And that means forever and ever. He will never, ever, ever wreak havoc on believers again. So that day is coming. He's been defeated. It's just a matter of time. We're living between God's D-Day and God's V-E day right now. And that explains a lot of the tension that we have. So here's an error that can happen. An error that can happen when we when we don't recognize and distinguish the two of these and their effects and we kind of just conflate all of this together. Let me explain what I mean. When I was growing up, I remember um, going to Bible studies. I was blessed to be in a Bible teaching church, small church, but the pastor was faithful. And um, I, uh, I remember these handouts that he would give to us. Sometimes he would put them on that old projector that you put the clear, transparent things in and shine it up. This was one of the handouts. Actually, thanks to Google, I found this online. And I remember this from when I was about 10 to 12 years old. It just stuck in my mind for some reason. This handout explains, it's called the Mountain Peaks of Prophecy. I know it's not super clear, but I want you to just get the concept here that's going on. Uh, Pastor Sam, when I was young, explained that A lot of times, in the Old Testament books, the prophets, God would give them revelation of what was coming in the world, in the future. And he he showed us that it was like they saw these high points. They 
they, they had these prophetic revelations in part, but they couldn't see everything. They couldn't see in the valleys. They couldn't see exactly what would happen at all of these different times between these high points. So when they looked across the high points, it was like looking across the tops of these mountains. And, and the prophets would see the Lord Jesus because that's what all prophecy points to. The Lord told us that. It all points to Him. But they might not be able to see the distinction between His first coming and His second coming. It was kind of just all blended together in some of the prophecies. Now, we have more Scripture. We have history behind us. So we know that the Lord came the first time and that there's this valley of the church or the church age between that and He's coming again the second time. But a lot of times they didn't see that. They just saw the Lord come. The Lord's going to come. And, and they, they called Him the Messiah. And the idea of the Messiah was that when the Messiah came, He would set up His kingdom he would finally destroy sin and suffering and death, and he would take over. He would put an end to all evil. And he would establish his kingdom on the earth, and he would rule and reign forevermore. And that's true. That's who the Messiah is. But what they didn't see was that he wasn't going to do that all at once. Now, there are prophecies in the Old Testament, you've got to read them carefully, that lay this out and that, that explain that this wasn't all at once. There would be a first coming and there would be a second coming. But what happened was it's, 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 it's hard to see all that. And the, a lot of the people in Israel, they didn't understand it all. They didn't look at the distinctions between all of these prophecies. And they just kind of conflated the two. And this is why a lot of the people of Israel didn't recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And still don't to this day. Because the Messiah was supposed to come and just take names and set up his kingdom. And he didn't do that. I mean, come on, he came and he got killed, crucified. Like, what's up with that? They didn't know that he was going to come in humility the first time to be our sacrifice, and he was going to come in all power and glory the second time. So we, we see the difference. We, we, we know there's a church age between. But the problem is, we can fall into a similar error whenever we conflate the, two, the effects and benefits of the two comings into one. We can fall into a similar error when we oversimplify the two comings. We might not conflate the two comings of Christ, but many times if we're not careful, we can conflate their effects and benefits which can cause confusion. Let me show you what I mean. There are so many examples. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, that's already happened, right? Will bring it to completion. But we often forget the when and how. At the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is the day Jesus Christ returns. He who began a good work in you, He's not going to leave you hanging. He's going to bring that good work to completion. But He's going to do it at the day He returns. Whenever He returns, He's going to complete that work because He's going to give you a new body. 
that doesn't have the capacity to sin, that doesn't have the capacity to suffer, and you're going to be living in that glorified eternal state forever. We don't yet have that. Oh, He's faithful by giving us His Spirit to help us in this life now, but we have not yet been delivered from this life and its trials and its sufferings and its problems. He will bring it to completion, though, at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is also a promise in eternal security for everyone who has believed and been sealed with the Spirit upon their initial belief in Jesus Christ. He's not going to leave you as orphans. You have eternal security in Him. We have that in Him. When we conflate the effects and benefits of His first coming and second coming and look at those things as something we have, we already can claim now there's massive confusion. Oh, we can claim a lot of things that Scripture tells us that we have promised, that we can have faith in. But we don't want to confuse these two things. Let's talk about healing. Let's talk about healing because I think this is an area where the already not yet answers a lot of questions. Why is it that when we pray for people to be healed, some people are healed and others aren't? Is it the fault of the person being prayed for that they don't have enough faith? Is it the fault of the prayer that they don't have enough faith? I mean, I know friends in this church who have lost loved ones and people told them before they've lost their loved ones that God was going to heal them and if they have enough faith, God is going to heal that loved one. And I know that people had a lot of faith and God didn't heal that loved one. Logically, where does that take the mind of, of the, the person who's lost the loved one? What was, it was my fault. I guess I didn't have enough faith. I don't think that's, I don't think that's the case because of the time we live in and what we're promised and what we're not yet promised. Let me explain. Let me explain because we've got to put our thinking caps on here because we do have, I want you to get this, we do have a promise for healing in Scripture. We do have a promise for healing. But that ultimate promise for healing is at the day of redemption when the Lord Jesus Christ completes this salvation package and gives us a new body that doesn't have the capacity to suffer anymore. We do have that promise, but it's in his timing. Here's the thing, here's the thing. Think of it like this. Maybe it's Christmas time, and there's a tree here, and we're, I'm, I'm in my house, and I, it's December 1st, and I, I put Christmas presents out for all the kids, and I put their names on the packages, and they're wrapped. And this present is for my son Abe, and this present is for Jake. And here, this one's for Annie, and that one's for Gracie, and I've got several for each one. And I say, okay, kids, these are your presents, but you can't unwrap them until Christmas. Not allowed to open them until Christmas. We're going to look forward to that day that's coming. And, and they say, well, Dad... You know, maybe it's like two weeks before Christmas. Dad, can I have this? I, I think I know what's in that box, and I really want it. Can I have it? Can I just open an early gift? Well, okay. I'm going to let you er open an early gift. I might let them open a couple gifts early. But they can't have everything that I have here for them until that day. It's the same today. The Scripture talks about gifts of healing. 
And God gives gifts of healing. He gives many gifts of healing. We've seen many of them today. But sometimes people are partially healed. Sometimes they're fully healed. And we should ask for gifts of healing. Mark and Joe and I believe that we should ask for gifts of healing. But we don't believe that we are entitled to those gifts now. It's all about timing. The error here is all about timing. God can give those gifts when He wants. And He has promised in the redemption that He started when He came and lived a perfect life and died for our sins and rose from the dead. He's promised healing. By His stripes we are healed. But we might not see that until that day when we are promised and guaranteed healing. So we are promised and guaranteed healing. But sometimes we don't receive it. And it's all up to Him. So, so Mark and Joe and I don't believe in a name it and claim it faith in the area of healing. There are things that we can name and there are things that we can claim when the Scripture says, you can have this now. Right now, you can have this. It's my will that you have this now. So overcoming a sin, for example. We don't have to give in to sin. We can overcome that now and we can pray for that. And by faith, we can accept that and claim it. Peace. The Lord says we can have peace in all circumstances. He will give you peace if you claim that now by faith, no matter what circumstances you're going through. Contentment. There are so many. But we live between a time of the already and the not yet. Matthew 7, 11 says, If then you are, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Oh, we can ask. And He has given many early gifts of healing. But sometimes He doesn't. And that's up to Him. I think the error is, some of us as Christians can fall off of one side of the horse or the other. Some of us can fall too far onto this side of the horse where uh, healing isn't for today, miracles are not for today, gifts are not for today, we, we don't have any of this stuff, and it's this Eeyore mentality, I'm never going to overcome this sin because I'm emphasizing the, the, the flesh too much. Or we can fall over to this side, and we can be overzealous and believe that this is, gonna, this is, this is now the full kingdom, where we can, we can do all of this stuff. And I don't believe the Bible teaches that either. I believe that we have to look at the whole counsel of God. But here's the thing over here. I think many of us are too far over here. And we need to believe in the power of the Spirit more because there is so much potential for us that is left unclaimed by faith in the Scriptures. And we need to, we need to overcorrect a little bit and get over here. Some of us are over here too much, and we're not realizing that God hasn't yet promised some of these things, but they are promised in the future. So we live in a time between the already not yet. There's tension there, and this is what we need to recognize as Christians. And this is why we might not be healed, but we can sure ask. So God gives these gifts at times, but we're not guaranteed some of these gifts until the day of redemption. If you want to, because we have limited time and I want to wrap it up here, um, if you want to know more about this, I taught a message a year ago, May 21st, 2017, called Faith in Difficult Times. 
where I explain this more thoroughly. Um, you can get on the website and check that out if you would like to. So that's an error. We could talk about a lot of errors, but let's go on and hit these last two points quickly. The answer to the error. I, this is what I want to emphasize, and this is going to actually help us to see the error too. But here's the answer. Here's how the Scripture corrects those two errors, okay? This is, this is the answer. This is where we're at now. Again, it's all about timing. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. Listen to this as I read. I'm going to just make some comments. Pay attention because this, this, this gives you the already not yet in a nutshell. For I consider, I like the old King James as I reckon. I like reckon. Reckon's like another accounting term where you've got these scales and these balances and you're putting one side on a balance and you're putting the other side on the balance and you're seeing which weighs more. For I reckon, I consider that the sufferings of this present time. What he's saying here is when I look at this present time that we live in, I see that the sufferings are weighing more on the scale than what's to come. And I don't understand it. I don't understand why we have to suffer so much in this present time. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, that's the right now, by the way, that's the already, that's the time the scales are heavier on the suffering, they're tipped towards suffering. But there's coming a time when God's going to tip the scales the other way. There's coming a time when, as it says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Not yet. It's not yet been revealed. It is to be revealed to us. The scales are going to tip the other way in that coming time. The not yet. And it's going to be glorious. And I look at those scales, I reckon, I consider, and I'm struggling right now, and I don't know why, but God's going to flip that so that in the coming time, it's going to be glorious because there's not going to be any more suffering with temptations to sin, suffering with bad backs, suffering with achy joints, suffering with Lyme's disease, suffering with bad vision, suffering with anything because he's going to tip the scales. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing. See, we're waiting for a time that's not yet here. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So creation itself understands the earth the earth shakes and quakes because it's groaning for that coming time that's not yet here the earth the creation understands that there's an eager longing for a coming redemption verse verse 20 for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be, not yet, will be set free from its bondage to corruption. That's that initial sin that Adam and Eve did when Adam sinned and the earth that was cursed, with the creation was cursed with corruption. And the corruption still remains. And it's, it's saying that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So poison ivy, thorns, tsunamis, earthquakes, trees falling on cars, rabies, AIDS, staph infections, struggles with sin, all of these things are a part of that corruption 
that was set into motion when Adam, the first man, sinned and the earth and creation and humanity was cursed. So the creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Look at this, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. See, this applies to us too. Not just the creation. It's the whole The curse applies to creation. The curse applies to us. The curse has begun to be reversed by God giving us His Spirit, but it's not fully reversed yet. We're a part of this whole tension. Creation, as it says, groans. But you and I groan too. You're not the person you were 15 years ago. You've got an achy elbow, and if you don't have an achy elbow, you have an achy shoulder like me. And if you don't have an achy shoulder, maybe your knee hurts. And if your knee doesn't hurt, your back probably hurts. And if your back doesn't hurt, you can't see without your glasses, or your memory's not as sharp as it was 15 years ago, and you're holding your car keys, and you're saying, where's my car keys? And then you realize you're holding them, and you've got achy aches and leaks and cracks and all kinds of things in your body and joints that you didn't have 15 years ago because of this corruption and bondage that hasn't yet been, the earth hasn't yet been set free from. And neither have we. So it says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, now look at this, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have, we already have the first fruits of the Spirit, but we don't have it all yet. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, the already. We groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for, that's the not yet, adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now listen to this. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. We don't see this yet. Oh, we see glimpses. We see sneak peeks. We see previews. We see some, some gifts ahead of the, th- of the day, but we don't yet see it in full. And that's why we need faith. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I don't have time, but in Hebrews chapter 11, at the end of the chapter, the whole chapter is talking about all these things people do by faith. It's commending their faith. Sometime this week, look at the end of the chapter because I think that's where we see varsity-level faith. It's not a name-it-and-claim-it faith. It's a higher level of faith. It's an even-if faith. It's a faith that it says these people were sawn in half. These people lost children. They lost everything. They were homeless. They, They got martyred. They lost things, but they continued to believe and said, even if this happens, I know there's a promise coming. And that's where we need to be, even if faith. So we wait for it with patience. Here's the application. Let me wrap this up. I've never flown in a plane, and I've never even been in an airport. Um, But I did read an article on airports one time. It was actually an article on waiting. and, And it was about how people get off the plane, and I guess you get your, there's a baggage place there where you collect your baggage. And, right, (laughs) 
hey, I'm, I'm from Bolivar. Um, <laughs> so the people were filing all these complaints to the airports because they had to wait for their baggage. So here's the clever way the airports dealt with that. They moved the baggage claim like five minutes down to the other side of the airport. And it took like five minutes to get their baggage. So by the time they got to the baggage claim, their baggage was there. Guess what the airport started getting instead of criticism? All kinds of happy letters. I, I, I got to the baggage claim and my baggage was there. It was great. Thank you for being so diligent and fast. And I didn't have to wait. Here's the thing. They were waiting the same amount of time. This is an illustration for us on, on how to apply this tension of living between the already and the not yet. The difference was these people were occupied with walking to the baggage claim. And for them, that made all the difference. They weren't sitting there dwelling and focusing on their situation because they didn't have it yet. And it's the same deal for us. We don't, God says, walk out this Christian life while we're waiting. That's the call. Be occupied with walking out this others-centered Christian life while we're waiting for the not yet to happen. And if we do that, it'll make all the difference because when we get there, we'll be looking forward to it the whole time, and when we get there, it'll be glorious, and it'll make the time go by. So that's the application. Walk out the Christian life while we're waiting. Let's live in a world of focusing on what the Lord calls us to do rather than sitting around focusing on our problems. I know it's tough sometimes, but that's what God calls us to do. That's how the Apostle Paul did it. Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. That's it. Press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me already his own. Let's have the band come up and let's pray and ask the Lord to help this to sink in because I think it's going to minister to us. Father, we know that we are not yet perfect. We are not yet delivered fully from the corruption and the curse that is in this world. We know that we live in enemy-occupied territory. But we know that you have already made us your own. And we know that you have given us your spirit that we might press on through the trials through the tribulations, through the suffering, we know, Father, that you have done this and that you are coming again to make all things right. I pray that in the meantime, you would help all of us to realize the power that we have in your spirit and your promises that by faith we can make it through this time between your D-Day and your V-E day, no matter what we go through. We pray that we would be more others focused as we walk out this Christian life. And we thank you, Lord, that we can be sure of this, that you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Minister to our hearts as we end in this last song this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.